Podcast of mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well done. Well done. On What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Totem Talks, Season 3, Episode 3. Yeah. It's the same backwards and forwards. That's not... Three it, and three. That The number... Okay, the yep. numbers, yeah, but I don't think Season 3, Episode 3 is the same backwards it's and forwards. It's as close as we're ever going to get. Okay. You know it's what? It's at least tied for as close as we're ever going to get. <laughs> Oh gosh! Well, this has already gone so far off the rails. I know. I think should, we should just yeah, wrap let's it just up. restart. All right, have a great day, everybody. Yep. Have a good one. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. good. Uh, welcome on in, guys. Uh, we've got a fun one for you. We do. Uh, before we get too far into it, we've got some housekeeping to take right. care of. All right, some things that I want to talk about. So we're in season three, and uh, I want to talk about something for the podcast, and then something for. Our band. Oh, yeah. We do have one. Every once in a while, we mention the band Low Totem. Check right. us out. Uh, so if you are a fan of the band and haven't been, you know, checking stuff out lately, you've missed something that we're doing that's pretty freaking cool. Uh, we're working with a company. It's called Least of All. And uh, we're doing custom vinyl recordings of our album, of songs right. from our album. And you can basically pre-order... Um, whichever song you want, we have a list mm-hmm. of them on the on the website. Right, pretty much almost anything. From almost anything from the album, and you can have that. <laughs> yeah, uh, a personalized yeah, recording once you from for us. It, to then you. it's yours. <laughs> yeah, a personalized recording from us to you. Uh, so basically, if we get twenty five recordings, we're going to least of all, which is in Brooklyn, which is super cool, and mm-hmm. then we are recording twenty five times. Right. Uh, so each one is like absolutely a live take, a one shot take, unique recording. Super cool. Um, you can check it out. Um, basically, on our social media, we have a link to where you can get the pre-order. Also, pretty much just check our story. Like, at least a couple times a week, we're sure. going to be putting it up there just to remind everybody. Uh, or if you come to a gig, you're going to hear about it incessantly. Yes. So that's that's that. And keep in mind, we can give you, like, a personalized message ahead of the song. So if there's any series of words that you want to make Pat say out loud... You can write those to us in a message and we'll say them on the record. Or anybody else. But mostly Pat. Anybody else, especially Nick. Nope, not me. Nick will say (laughs) whatever you want to hear George talk. No, nobody wants to hear George talk. Great point. Great point. The only thing George ever says. I have a two inch micro penis. Yeah, it does get old after that. That's his whole thing. That's the only line George ever said. He's like a a Woody doll. He is. Oh, I didn't even mean to make that joke. I know, I know. I was going (laughs) to let you just walk right past it, but. Uh, and the other thing uh, that we've, you know, just kind of, we've actually had it for a while, but, you know, haven't really talked about it. We have activated what's called listener support. That's true. Uh, for the podcast. So, yeah, if you have ever had like a Twitch subscription or Patreon or anything like that, it's basically that. There's certain tiers and it's just a way to, you know, support the podcast with like a small donation. Uh, all of the money from it goes right back into the podcast totally. and, and more besides. Yeah. Uh, you know, making making it the best it can be, getting merch together, mm-hmm. getting, you know, upgrading our equipment and stuff like that. Uh, so that's active. And uh, we want to come up with like a structure of like rewards for that. But we haven't yet. We will, though. It's still it is definitely its something that has been discussed. 
Yeah, so if you have any ideas of rewards that you would want, uh, let us know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, get us to say whatever you want us right, to say. Right, for sure. Um, I do think we would like read the subscribers every few episodes. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, that's pretty that's normal. That's pretty uh, standard. To show the people who are supporting mm-hmm. us. Agreed. I think so speaking it. of reading a list of things, here are the three artists we're going over today. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we're going to, uh, as I'm sure you've all figured out from Pat's lovely intro, we're going to start things off with Everclear. Uh, we're going to roll into Dashboard Confessional and finish things out with Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Yeah. And that's that. Cool. All right. So tell us a little bit about Everclear, would you, Patrick? I would love to. Uh, Everclear is an American rock band formed in Portland, Oregon in 1991. Uh, the band was formed by Art Alexakis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's that. Uh, they've been active consistently from 91 to the present. Right. Yeah. So 30 years. Congratulations, guys. Mm-hmm. And we went over three of their albums. That we did. We did. Uh, we went over... World of Noise from 1993. We went over so much for the Afterglow from 1997. And then Back, or Black is the New Black. Yeah, Back is the New Black. Yes, right. Black is the New Black from 2015. Precisely. Uh, So starting with World of Noise, do you want to kick us into it or do you want me to? Uh, I'll do it. I'll just keep going. You got it. I'll just keep going. Uh, So my notes for World of Noise, it is a sloppy debut that paves the way for a better sound. I think that is a great it's, succinct summary of what we have here. Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty much exactly what it is. Um, a lot of the stuff is produced in a sloppy way. Which I, I, I think Art does the production for this a little did, bit. Well, it was cre- it was a four hundred dollar Friends basement album. Yeah, which so. definitely shines through here. for that. Uh, for that though, for four hundred dollars in your buddy's basement. Yeah, pretty decent in terms of quality. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely agree. But I just think that there's a lot to be desired here. Oh, for sure. Um, I also think that the thing that kind of was weird to me was how different the songwriting was. Mm -hmm. So especially lyrically, I think um, Mm. Everclear gets a lot stronger writing later. Totally agree. These ones kind of feel a little shallow at times. Mm Uh, which I know you're going to talk about Art's life a little bit. Yeah, right. Which So the fact that he was writing shallow lyrics at all is surprising to me. Yeah, I agreed. Well, he definitely makes up for it later. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, the, a couple of the highlights for me, um, I liked the Fire Maple song. I had like a weird folky vibe to sure. me. Uh, Pennsylvania Is actually did have that moment of sad storytelling, a little bit more poignant in the lyric department. Uh, and then the other one that I had as a highlight was Loser Makes Good. Okay, yeah. What, did you know what that's about? Uh, Loser Makes Good? Yeah. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't. Okay. And I don't have it written So down. the song Loser Makes Good was written about an insane homeless man that shot and killed Art's friend, Philip Burry. Uh, what? Who was better known by the stage name Buck Naked or Buck Naked and the Bare Bottom Boys. Okay. Well, that's different. Yep. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what I was expecting you to say. Yeah, that is, yeah, well, that's just that's just Art Alexakis for you. Yeah, he's got a life, man. <laughs> I know. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit about yeah. that and what happened with him, you know, kind of coming in uh, before this. So basically, uh, from what I understand, and, you know, this is just reading a few things online. So uh, feel free to, if you're listening, Art, and you want to correct me or, or clear up the record, come on up anytime. Uh, but his parents split up, and he was raised by his mother in the projects. Uh, and during that time, a lot of the other kids in his neighborhood were both physically and sexually abusing him. Uh, and then his brother died of an overdose when he was only 16. Right around that same time, 
uh, the girl he was dating at the time committed suicide. And then Art himself essentially like filled his pockets up with rocks and tried to jump off a bridge and drown himself. Like he's like around 13, 14 years old when all this is going on. Um, so, you know, luckily he survived that, but then he immediately went directly to uh, injecting heroin and uh, cocaine. So he was, you know, addicted to some pretty hard drugs. He is now clean uh, from what I know. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, spying on him or keeping that close of tabs. But yeah, he had a terrible life. He had an absolutely horrific, just like you hate to hear about it. It's just brutal. Uh, and that's what I think we were expecting to maybe shine through lyrically in this record, which comes out later on. Yes. Um, but anyway, all that being said, I'll actually talk about a few other things about this record in particular that you didn't cover. Sure. Which is one, um, I mean, they're an alternative rock band from the 90s, so you knew there was going to be that influence of grunge in there. But I never heard it quite as much in their hits and their music that I knew as I heard it here. Like, this leaned way heavier into grunge uh, to, like, almost a Nirvana-esque sound than a lot of their other stuff does. It was very strong. The interesting interesting thing to me was that the genre of this was actually cowpunk on Yeah, right, right. And I I was like, it doesn't sound like cowpunk to me. It sounds like grunge. Yeah, it sounds like grunge. It sounds more like grunge with like a few glimpses of Everclear to come Yeah, uh, mixed in throughout. And then the only other thing that I think was interesting, because there was some intriguing guitar work, I put. Like, you know, there were definitely times where I was like, oh, okay, there's, you know, uh, there's some ideas coming through here. I I like what the guitarist is thinking, which is also art, of course. Um, But he played the, the particular tone he gets comes from a essentially a broken amp so the amp he played for this whole record as you can tell for four hundred dollars in this friend's basement they weren't putting a lot of money in uh so his amp had a blown tube uh and it would pretty much squeal constantly whenever he happened to play a chord and oftentimes in the middle of recording the amp would just overheat and just start smoking and they would all have to like stop and get a bunch of ice packs and like hold them up against the amp and cool it back down and then go back to recording all over again so if you're wondering, like, oh, what's that tone that he's got? It's completely fried amp with blown tubes. Yeah. So if well, that's what you're, if so that's what you the, want. <laughs> here's the thing that's crazy to me. So it's a blown six L six tube mm-hmm. uh, on it. It's a Fender Super Twin amp. That's not that hard to fix. <laughs> I believe you. Like it was, it was four hundred bucks to record. The, I mean, so it's the difference between like four hundred and like four hundred and thirty. Yeah, right. It's not it was, so that's not a huge fix. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, with how young they were, they probably just didn't know that. Sure. I yeah. but I like just like hearing that. I'm like that's <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's wild. It's not like that hard. I mean, whatever. It did end you. up creating a unique sound sure. and you know, yeah. all about music experimentation. It's just like Agreed. that's a little weird to me. Yeah. All right. So, I'm going to take us into so much for the Afterglow, which was their biggest record, Double Platinum. Do it. Uh Father of Mine and I Will Buy You a New Life, which are the first two songs I think of when I think of Everclear, yeah. are both on this record. Uh, and it's uh, much improved. Yeah. Much improved. And while they're still, for the most part, playing as a trio, uh, Alex Akis with Greg Eklund uh, on percussion and drums and Craig Montoya on bass, uh, Art is now not just like the guitarist vocalist. He plays banjo, mandolin, piano, steel guitar, uh, keyboards, does vocal, horn, and string arrangements, all sorts of stuff on this album. Uh, and one thing I definitely look for with a lot of these albums when there are string and horn arrangements is, are the band members actually writing the arrangements or are they just kind of outsourcing that to somebody yeah. else? 
Uh, so the fact that he's the one who's writing that, like major credit in my eyes to be someone who can play all those instruments, but also write good arrangements for the other instruments that you don't play. Uh, but this album starts maybe in the strangest place to me from what I would have expected from Everclear with just this gorgeous acapella harmony thing coming right, right on into so much for the theatrical, the title track. Absolutely Amazing. beautiful. It was like very Beach Boys inspired-esque. Like it was so cool. I was floored. Yeah, I, I, I could not believe that that's what was coming. And it was it was really incredible, and then it did feel like fairly natural to go into their you know harder yeah. rock sound for the rest of the song after that. So I really appreciate so much the writing of this album and how they were actually differentiating themselves as songwriters and differentiating their sound uh, from other alternative rock acts at this time. Now I do have one minor negative here that I'll say, which is about the song. Uh, El Distorto de Melodica, which is an instrumental. And I believe that this won um, the Grammy that year for instrumental song, for like an instrumental rock song. Okay. And it fell a little flat. It just felt like it was one of those instrumental pieces that doesn't go anywhere to me. Like, again, not unpleasant to listen to, but I just don't think it went anywhere. And I felt like that's a pretty weak choice for, you know, to win the Grammy for rock instrumental. Like, there had to have been something better. I don't know. For me, I guess my thought process for that, I agree with you that it's a little that it's a little lackluster. Yeah. But we're comparing it to, like, some of the instrumental greats of True. The earlier times. True. When I think of the 90s, I don't necessarily think of great instrumental pieces Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely not wrong about that. So I, I can see that maybe standing out from the crowd. Sure. I also think it might have something to do with the success of other songs on this album. Yeah. Calling attention to this band. They kind of blew up this year. Definitely. You know, yeah. more yeah. so than just that song on its own merit. Sure. Fair enough. It's all politics, man. Right. Of course. And then the last thing I'll say is there's a hidden track, Hating You for Christmas. That's a good Christmas song. I liked <laughs> yeah. it. I liked it a lot. Which is great yeah. because now when we perform Christmas songs, we we're have adding another that one, one in exact, there. Exactly. Totally. All right, I'll let you. I didn't want to take up too much of the stuff that I didn't want to talk about. Totally. Okay. So I did have the amazing acapella intro to So Much for the Afterglow, uh, but you did already mention that. So I'm going to go right into the second song, Everything to Everyone. The first thing I noticed, and I'm so sad he's not here, mm -hmm. was the extremely catchy bass line. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Like, great bass on that yeah. one. Uh, and I think throughout. Uh, the other thing that I was shocked at how clearly I noticed it was the difference between Scott Cuthbert on the first album as the drummer. Oh, okay. Uh, and Greg Eklund. And Greg Eklund in this one. In okay. this one. A, a, a extremely fair, different style. Eklund did not just play drums, but he also did play the slide whistle. That's true. And I, so I want to give him credit for some yeah, of it, too. Yeah. I mean, but I thought the slide whistle the was The slide whistle fun. was much more important. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, But it was just interesting to me because. Again, I typically don't notice those things as clearly. Right. But I do my listening before researching, as I've said a billion times. Sure. I could tell in my listening, I was like, that's a new drummer. New drummer, yeah. I could hear that that drummer is completely different. Sure. And I think a little better. Sorry, Scott Cuthbert. That's okay. I You're understand. not bad. I totally I just, understand. <laughs> just a little bit uh, of a different style that I think fits the Everclear sound a little better. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, the biggest thing for me on this one, and I think nobody's going to be surprised, is the lyrics. Yeah, 100%. Absolute pinpoint accuracy on his storytelling here. 
Uh, it's there's some poignancy. There's some darker places that he goes to. Um, I will buy you a new life is like a really nice love song yeah, when you listen to totally. it. But also has these like wow you have a bad life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, like oh. that song doesn't work without somebody who has the background that he has. Yeah, where like, he's like, listen, where he's like from. I've seen worse. We exactly. can do this. Like, yep. It, it sucks, man. <laughs> and then Father of Mine was a huge hit for them. And another ki- killer lyrical piece just about, like, mm-hmm. obviously he had a really terrible relationship with his yeah. you know, with his father. Uh, just really impressive all the way through. Totally agree. There's It's one thing to have a really crappy life, and it's one thing to be able to write good music. And it's a totally different thing to be able to take your real-life awful experiences and make them into music. Sure. Yeah, I've seen I've seen all three of those things happen. Yeah, I've seen right. things where we've we've talked about artists that have had really bad, bad unfortunate things happen to them, and their writing still sucked. Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm not You're saying not, sure. And then we've had people who like seem to have a relatively uneventful like. But we're going to say Paul McCartney. Sure, Paul McCartney had, by all accounts, he had some tra- challenges. Sure, but not the same level of life as this guy. Not, no. And still managed to write incredible, amazing yeah. songs because he could mm-hmm. put himself in other people's shoes. I think the ability to take your own stuff, your own emotions and your own hardships and wear your heart on your sleeve here like art does is, no pun intended, an art. Yeah, I agree. So, All right. I black is it. the new black. Okay. So I think that they sound heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. But also sound lighter. Heavier, but a little shallower for me. Yeah, yeah. It's super common. Um, y- there's no shame in it. It's It just feels like a, maybe it's his own fault. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, seriously, because like when you're writing lyrics in so much for the Afterglow with such depth to them, yeah, it's hard to just hard to compare doing that. Yeah. So these ones don't have that same depth. Right. I thought that, you know, musically, it might be the heaviest and cleanest they've sounded. Mm-hmm. But they're not singing about the same stuff. Right. Absolutely. Uh, that's pretty much what I have. I mean, specific ones. Uh, the song The Man Who Broke His Own Heart, I think is completely unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> like, it just is. It's funny. Yeah. It, like, the lyrics are funny, and it's not supposed to be. Right. Um, I thought Complacent was the one that I thought sounded really good but at the same time felt shallow to listen to yeah that was the, what I my note for complacent is this is the first track that sounds like Everclear yeah I, I can you know understand that as well um but at the same time it sounded like Everclear but without that sure bite mm-hmm. yeah I get that <laughs> it was like Everclear but no no teeth just gums yeah uh and then again I, I just have all the way throughout this good not great you know good sure. a little bit boring um, safe. The closing track I thought was good, but probably about a minute too long for what okay. Everclear was doing. Yeah. Uh, in a similar way to their instrumental piece that we talked about, El Distorted de Melodica. Yeah. Safe didn't go anywhere. It right. just felt long because of it. I agree. But still, I mean, in terms of like a grade, I would still probably be like a B minus to a to a C plus. Yeah, I think that's totally fair for this record. Again, it's not. It's different. And I think part of that is Alex Akis is the only person left in the band yeah. from from the '90s. The other guys left in the early 2000s and have been replaced with you know a pretty rotating cast. Uh, a lot of other people have been in and out of the band since then. 
Uh, so that explains the change in the sound a lot of it, I think. It is very influenced by the, the heavier alternative rock of the 2000s. Uh, that much is clear. It almost sounds like it's an album that came out in 2007 instead of 2015 uh, in terms of the musical yeah. direction. Um, but it's it's done well, but it's not necessarily impressive. The you know complacent I liked because it reminded me of the feel of 90s Everclear at their at their best. But the other song that I think was impressive in terms of the writing uh, was Van Gogh's Son. Okay, I think that sure. was probably the best arrangement of a piece. Yeah, uh, that exists on this entire record. And then the other thing that I just want to mention um, before we move on to the end is that since this record uh, in 2019, Art Alexakis has also been diagnosed with MS, and so that's kind of his My current gosh, battle. I know, man. I know, uh, but that that is you know the thing in his life that he's dealing with now, <sighs> and we wish him the best. Of course, I man, what a life this guy. I know that's like that's that's so tough. Uh, yeah. It's hard to wrap your mind around all that stuff. But people are resilient. He's clearly got a lot of resiliency. Yeah. Oh, he has to. Everything about this guy screams resilience. I know. All right. So his scores. Okay. Uh, Cultural impact for Everclear. Uh, I mean, they're a band that people probably know two to three songs from. Yeah. um, They had a couple of of really big hits. I think it's been a little bit since I've been able to say this. I think they're a band who the songs stick out, but they won't know who sang them. That's totally fair. I th- yeah, I think, I think that, people like, will recognize "I Will yeah. Buy a New Life," "Father of Mine," "Santa Monica." Like they'll know the songs from when they were popular in the '90s, uh, and and you, you, they did sell well. Like three of the records went platinum, one being double. Yeah. So I mean, they do have to get a couple of points here for for that. Yeah. Uh, so what? Uh, I would probably we... be around like the low twos, three big hits. Yeah. And three albums that sold pretty well. I think you gotta at least get two points for that. I, could, I think there's only I could live in the low twos, maybe like yeah. a two one. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Okay, but I, I would t- struggle to give them anything less for sure. what they what they achieved. Uh, and their breadth of work is nine records. We've already talked about the certifications, uh, and pretty much everything that went platinum here also went platinum in Canada uh, okay. and a few other places around the world. And I would say, at worst, their uh, their music doesn't help their score. And at best, it does. Like yeah. some of the albums, I would sit flat on, but I would be willing to give them a little bit of bump for the quality uh, of so much for the Afterglow, Sparkle and Fade, Songs from an American Movie Volume One, like that era where they were selling platinum. Sure, not only is really good, but it was also selling well and critically well acclaimed as well. Okay, uh, so nine albums, so we're over five, a little bit in between a five and a six, right? And then, and then we're giving them a little bit of extra bump. points for the quality, a little bit of extra points for three platinums. That puts me at around like a five nine ish. Uh, yeah, five nine sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, instrumental talent. This is much more of a songwriting band than an instrumental talent band to me. I would agree. Not that I think that they were ever bad. Like nothing ever jumped out to me as like, oh, that's bad playing. No. Once in a while, something I'd be like, oh, that was a clever. But we- for the most part, it's about the writing. Yeah. To me. Here's the thing. I feel like we're in a unique area here Mm -hmm. because I think the production on the first album was bad. Well, yeah. And I understand it was like a, you know, a friend's basement album, Mm -hmm. but it was produced by Art Alexakis. True. I mean, he was a kid producing music for the first time with some equipment in a basement. He had no idea what he was doing. This does that affect. I don't think that makes them untalented. No, 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 no. I'm I'm saying like. I would like to find somewhere where the 
the fact that he can't produce music well at that, <laughs> in that album would take away like a point one. And I, I, this was the only place I could think of it because okay. like technically it's like part of the instrumentation. Sure. Then that sounds to me more like songwriting. Okay. That's, that's, that's fine. the craft. Um, so honestly, my gut is five, five, one here. Yeah. I, I would even maybe put them up to a five, two, Done. uh, just a little bit higher. Cause I think that there were moments that were interesting, especially with arts guitar play. I, that's, that's my stance. Exactly. Songwriting talent, significant growth from album to album. Yeah. Uh, significant use of different styles and instrumentations throughout. I definitely think they are above average by a good point or two. Um, okay. Here, I was really impressed by them. My answer would probably be in the sixes. Okay. Not necessarily the high sixes, but in the sixes. Um, where would you say in the sixes? My gut is telling me six three six four because I was definitely impressed. Okay, with their, then with the their minus point one would give them a six three. You got it. Let's do it. I like perfect. That. Okay, and then. This one, as we've already mentioned, is kind of all over the place, which is poetic yeah. talent. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting how all over the place it is. Because yeah, because it really peaks high. Album, albums one and three, I mm-hmm. think, are middling to fair. Yeah. And I think album two is stellar. Exactly, exactly. And and the albums on either side of that one, I, I would say, are as well. Just sure, from like the s- snippets I've listened to. I can understand that. Uh, so it's like we're going to have to kind of average that out. Yeah, like, of course. I, w- I would say literally we're trying to average out like a five and a half and like an 8.8. Oh, yeah. I mean, super <laughs> high for that for that middle Like where totally we're kind of putting that. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it being still their highest score of the day. I would agree. Uh, I would I would probably be willing to give them like a seven. Okay. That, that is Especially totally since like even the ones that felt shallow. Yeah. I want to say they really just felt shallow in comparison to themselves. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, these are probably songs that we would give at least a little bit of credit to other artists yeah. for writing. And that's fair. And I don't think there's an X factor. No, I, I mean, don't I think so. I told the life story, but that's different. Yeah, so. I mean, Art's life story is, I wouldn't call that an X factor. I would no. call that some some real hardship for him. Yeah, oh my God. Okay, Dashboard Confessional. Dashboard Confessional is an American rock band from Boca Raton, Florida, led by singer-songwriter Kiss Chris. It's <laughs> a little Freudian slip there for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to kiss him, man. I, I just want to kiss him so bad. I get it. Um, so uh, the band was active from 1999 to 2011, and then 2015 to the present day. So a little right. bit of a hiatus in the mm-hmm. middle there. Not uncommon. Sure. And we went over three albums. Shocker. We went over The Swiss Army Romance from March of 2000. We went over Dusk and Summer from June of, tw- of 2006. I'm sorry. It came out the day after my it did <laughs> my birthday. That's right, so, June twenty seventh, two thousand six, and then we went over Crooked Shadows from twenty eighteen. Yes, February of twenty eighteen. Because I did the yeah, months be, this time. Yeah, be very clear about that. So I will go first since you did not go first uh, before. Yes, excellent. Uh, so the Swiss Army Romance. If what you're thinking of when you think of Dashboard Confessional is that emo rock. Um, that they are known for, that they're one of the, the bigger bands of for, for this time. It's not necessarily what you get from the Swiss Army Romance because this is almost entirely just Chris Caraba with an acoustic guitar and singing. I would, or, Yeah, it is that. Uh, there, there are a few additional backing vocalists um, and a second guitarist who plays on occasion. But that's it's pretty much just that. It's, it's a fully acoustic album, Yeah, uh, which is a very big change-up. It's going against the grain. It is, you know... It starts out as a side project from his other band that he just kind of wants to try to fit acoustic guitar into this genre. 
And I really appreciate that. Like, I really think um, that that's a great and unique move to force this kind of indie emo rock into a fully acoustic format. And it really works for him a lot on this album. I think that he's got a really uh, cool and unique voice, uh, which is, if nothing else, entirely passionate and emotional all the time. Like so much all emotion is packed the in. Time. So much emotion is packed into to what he does here, um, which I appreciate. Uh, but one of those additional musicians that I want to mention really quickly, who I think really kills it on this album with just their backing vocals, is Jolie Lindholm. I was just she I was going to talk about her. She sounds really great. Like I think she brings a lot with a little. So you know, I think my favorite thing about Jolie Lindholm is she's she has a wiki page. She's known for providing background vocals for numerous Dashboard Confessional right. albums. She is the lead vocalist in Rocking Horse Winter, and the she's the front woman of the Darling Fire, but also works as a South Florida real estate agent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's important. I like yeah. that's so. I cool. can tell like, that's George's on... future Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. I was yeah, like, that's totally. going to totally be George because it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. famous we get. That man yeah. wants to sell houses. Oh, totally. Uh, but of the songs on here that you might have heard of, it's the acoustic Screaming Infidelities. That would be the yes. one that you've heard of by Dashboard Confessional. It's on this. It's a very good song. Um, done really well in this format. I mean, like I, I enjoy hearing it in different formats as well, but I really liked the acoustic take on these songs. A lot of them ended up getting re-recorded for the second album with a, a yes. full band um, to get a more electric sound. But I like having the options. I like that this exists. Sure. So here's what I'll say. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. I think there's tons of upside. For me, um, I was just like yearning for a little bit of variance, mm-hmm. a little bit of experimentation, a little bit of trying something. Right. I think that when you're putting out an acoustic album, an entirely acoustic album, it is so easy to get repetitive. Yeah, that that's fair. And I think that this one kind of falls into that a little bit. Right. There's not really like a change in the type of playing that's happening. It's all kind of that, you know, light strumminess, you know, maybe some light chord work as well. Uh, The vocals stay pretty much constantly in that upper register. Yeah. He's got a strong upper register, but a variance would help. I think think having a little bit of time where he went up and down in those vocals Mm -hmm. Would have created a lot of it. I agree. I also would have loved to hear a little bit more alternate tuning or even just mm-hmm. a different key. Sure. It felt like the entire album was in the same key <laughs> and the same strumming and the same I tuning. Mean, I'm I'm sure that it was not all. In the I'm same sure key, it wasn't. But as any singer will tell you, there are certain keys where you feel the most comfortable, where people tend agree. to write and sing more of their songs than usual. I would a hundred percent agree, yeah. and that's why I'm not saying every song sure, needed to right. be different, but like totally. Maybe a couple just needed to be different. Mm-hmm. I also would have loved to hear something like like more Drop D or Dad Gad. Yeah. Something like sure. Just something you. to break it up. Yeah. Because I think all of the songs are really good. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great song album, but a lackluster album album. Right. Like if this was two acoustic 10. EPs released five or six years apart with other albums yeah. interspersed, you would have felt differently. Yeah. Absolutely. I get or, you. Or even just like if if once a day... I ended up listening to one of these out sure. songs for yeah. ten days mm-hmm. would have been fine. I just yeah. think that this is not an album that's meant to be consumed as an album. Straight through, fair um, enough. But uh, some positives: I loved "Screaming Infidelities." Of course, uh, absolutely loved it. I also really loved the title track, "Swiss Army mm-hmm. Romance." 
I just, that's the first, so that's the fourth song in. That's the one where I said, ooh, these are all starting to sound the same. Right. <laughs> uh, and then it just kind of kept going. But then there was track eight. Again, I go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. So that one stood out to me because it was faster paced. There was a little bit of variation yeah. there. And I at this point, eight songs in, it's like any port in a storm. I was sure. clinging yeah, yeah. to that difference, that slightly faster pace. Mm-hmm. So it did stick out to me. And then I did enjoy the closer as well, shirts and gloves. Yeah. So that's Great. it. Yeah. All in all, positives. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of positives so. here. Really enjoy this guy's voice. As Nick said, just dripping with emotion all constantly. The time. Yeah. Probably the most emotional singer we've heard since Sam Smith. I would probably agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Super emotional. So now we're going to move on to Dusk and Summer. And so what's happened here is a solo project from Chris Caraba has become a band. Right. And now the main project. Yes. Yeah. And uh, a lot stronger for it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Still not a ton of variation here, mostly in terms of subject matter now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get a very Adele Sure, sure, sure. Writing vibe mm-hmm. from Dashboard Confessional. It, every song is about some type of failed relationship. Yeah. Not a bad thing. Uh, it's one of the most common things to write about. Of course. So it's not like just Chris Caraba's doing yeah. this. Uh, I just kind of wish maybe all 13 songs weren't about that. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> maybe eight songs were about that. Right, and five right. songs were about taking your dog for a walk or something. Yeah, that's a good, a good thing to, to write songs about. <laughs> Uh, but there was the one-two punch tracks four and five for what I listened to, vindicated and stolen. Okay, yeah. Um, just okay. So boom. you listen to the deluxe edition. I now do. I know why our tracks are different. I am deluxe, and I only you listen are. to of deluxe course. things. I, I I very much understand. <laughs> uh, but vindicated is just a straight up great song. I agree. And this is the song that I like that I knew. Going into this, obviously, I, mm-hmm. it's a very popular song, and that I wish he had done in the first one because okay, it is yeah, so yeah. beautifully done mm-hmm. here. Where there is some low variation, he's starting off low and then gets really emotional and loud and high pitched, and then it goes back down. And then yeah, well, up. that's that. I mean, I would say that's the hallmark of that song and their other biggest hit, hands down. Yeah, like both of those songs display that range that you and do. and that's what I ju- I wish there was some more of it. Yeah. Because I think he when he does it, he does it so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vindicated is a great song, both dynamic and lyrically. Uh, Stolen is another kind of bigger song for them. Super strong showing uh, with more musicality, mm-hmm. I think, even than Vindicated. Uh, and then once we started getting to like currents uh, is when I went. Another lyrically poignant song, but starting to need a different subject matter. Yeah, interesting. And then as we kept going, I was like, okay, all of these songs are really good. And I think that's just the thing. I don't necessarily think Dashboard Confessional is an album band. Sure. I think it's it's this is a perfect playlist band. Yeah. I Throw I one or right. two of these songs on a playlist and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. But again, Dusk and Summer has a similar problem, although much less noticeable than the first album. Right. Just not enough variance for me. Okay. Uh, so I have a question for you first. One. Okay. Did you recognize the song Reason to Believe? Because I knew it super well as soon as I heard it, but I didn't know that I knew it. So I it, it felt super familiar to me. Madden 2007. 
Oh my gosh, no way. That's what I, because I heard it, I was like, I know everything about this song, <laughs> but I had no idea what it was. I literally Why do had, I know that? <laughs> I had this song feels familiar, and yeah. I thought it might just have been because I've been listening to nothing but Dashboard yep. Confessional. Nope. It's Madden 2007. That's amazing. How, yep. Um, Shout out to Madden. Yeah, seriously. Um, but that, that was another great song. I really enjoy Reason to Believe quite a yeah. bit. Uh, but Is what that I, just because it's for Madden? Come on. Well, does the I nostalgia mean, play a factor there? It does play a factor, but also the melody in particular. Because Madden two thousand seven, that's probably the last time you liked video games, right? Yeah, you're a, you're actually about right. Uh, but <laughs> reasons to believe, and that melody also brings me to the fact that there are some sprinkled in really nice harmonies going on throughout this as well. Sure. Uh, and the song that was the big change up for me that I really wanted to hear uh, was track six for me, seven for you, was so long, so long. Having that yes. piano song all of a sudden when that's not something that you were ever getting from this band before yeah. felt like a really great change-up. Uh, and do you know who sang the backing vocals on that? I have do, so many questions Do for you I today. know who sang the backing vocals on, on that? Yeah. Ugh. Adam Duritz, lead singer of Counting Crows. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. And I, because I recognized the voice and I'm like, that's, yeah. that's the Counting Crows guy, isn't it? A and very, then I went and looked into A very it. recognizable voice oh, from him. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Um, but I, I also agree that perhaps the songs get a little bit old yeah. uh, if you listen to the album as a whole. However, each individual song has been continually strong up to this point Absolutely. with Dashboard. And seriously, I can't stress that enough. Like Each individual song is significantly better than the sum of its parts. Exactly. So now I'm going to get into uh, the big comeback album. Crooked Shadows, which was their first album in nine years. Yes. Uh, and this is also the first album where not every individual song is good. <laughs> in fact, yeah, I would say at least two of the songs on this record are horrible. And those would be Belong and yeah. the title track, Crooked Shadows. Yeah. Right in the middle of the album, tracks five and six, really bad. Really bad. Now, the rest of it was not really bad. <laughs> The other seven tracks were all fine. Do you um, not? I'm sorry. Do you not like Cash Cash, the the American electronic music group? I guess not. That because they was ruined also that featured song. on Belong. Go figure. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean that, that the song was just awful. It, it was. Uh, it was really. Stay tuned bad. for when we cover Cash Cash. I know. It, it really felt like grasping at straws. Are like, okay, we're back, and now we've forgotten how to write songs. What's popular now? Nine years later, I guess maybe we'll try this. Um, but the not negative notes would be uh, you can hear the maturity in his voice. Like it's a, it's a very different voice than we heard, but he's still it's a interesting good singer. though because there's still a lot of range, still a yeah. lot of that upper range. Definitely, definitely. But it's you can hear that it's it feels deeper in his voice now because he is yeah, aged absolutely. and matured. He's aged, yeah, like a fine um, cheddar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a highlight for sure is right before those terrible songs. Track four is an acoustic piece yeah. called Heartbeat Here. I think that was hands down the best song of the album. Um, an album that was up and down, never really as high as their highs on their first couple albums when they first came out, but with a few nice moments. Uh, I also thought um, Just What to Say at the very end was a good recovery after some really questionable material in the middle, but it's mostly just kind of forgettable. Okay, so I want to start out by saying I agree with a lot of what you were saying, uh, particularly about tracks five and six being yeah. dookie. Yeah. <laughs> just just not good. Um, I think that what happened here, my overall note is it's more openly melodic 
to the point where it's almost like easy listening. Okay, sure. So yeah. it, there's a lot less of the kind of punch that you get in the second album, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of sucks because it would have been yeah. nice. Uh, still, I still got it vocally. Um, I have a lot of soaring vocals, particularly in We Fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of it's just like nothing amazing. Yeah. Basically. But the two things that really stuck out to me were I recognized like both feature, not Cash Cash. Okay. But listening just through this, yeah. um, I was doing other things, so I wasn't reading the tracks. Mm-hmm. I absolutely recognized Lindsey Sterling on the violin okay. uh, for the song Open My Eyes. Um Immediately, she is one of the most recognizable violinists of today. Interesting. Because she's, what, what is she uh, involved in? Because I'm not familiar with her. Um, she uh, this this is what she does. Okay. She she guests on other people's songs and gotcha. just plays a super recognizable sound okay. in her violin. Um, and she's well known for like being a featured artist in popular music and gotcha. not necessarily in the classical scene. Um, but absolutely love her. She uh, she featured. Did you ever listen to Pentatonix's Radioactive? No. Okay. I, it was the one that I thought you might Fair have listened enough. to. Uh, but she's really great. And then I, again, for track number nine, when I heard the duet, I immediately recognized Chrissy Costanza from Against the Current. Again, never had heard of them. Uh, th- so this so is- I, I Googled both of these people. They're both YouTube famous. Yes. And that's a, so that explains why Pat knows who they are, and I have no idea. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that All was right, it. I enough. just was I was happy that. Musicians showed up that weren't necessarily the most famous musicians, and I recognize both yeah, of them. Yeah, very cool. Okay. Uh, let us grade them. Yes. So starting out with cultural impact, I mean, there was a time when emo music was a pretty big thing in the early 2000s. Absolutely. Uh, but I think we just have to mention, uh, while they had a couple of gold records, they never had a top 40 hit on the official Billboard yep. charts. like. There was a niche for this, and for me, growing up in you know a suburban high school and middle school, like around that time in the mid two thousands, like I just happened to be right in the market where I would know people who listened to oh, this. Oh, absolutely! Um, but I recognize that outside that market, much less impact. Like these songs weren't hitting quite as hard for people who didn't grow up just in the suburbs particularly between the years like 2003 and 2010. So right. I just so, I just have to hedge the fact that this was a band that I have always been aware of. Yes. Uh, I'm not... Uh, let me try to think of the right way to say this. I understand exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. There was some decent success for this band, though. Right. But you now, know, if you think about like just versus Everclear... I would say they roughly had the same number of recognizable songs. Mm-hmm. Everclear sold significantly more records. That's true. And for Breath of Work, they're going to get killed. Necess- but for Cultural Impact, I don't want to go too much lower than Everclear. Because I'm not there saying was too much some lower. decent chart success for them. Uh, a Mark Emission, a brand, a Scar You're right. charted number two. So You're did right. Dusk and Summer uh, just in the U.S. And then U.S. Right. Rock had Dusk and Summer at number one. Right. Whereas U.S. Indie had a Mark. Yeah, right. but- exactly. So, like, there were some successes there I mean, I would be okay the with it, too. I was thinking right around it, Yeah, too. I think, yeah, I think that, that makes total sense. Yeah, especially since they had more than one recognizable hit, Vindicated being the big one. Right. Uh, there are seven total records, so yes. a few less than Everclear. Um, sales, not as great, but three golds. Yeah. But three golds. Um, and music was consistently good up until recently. Right. Uh, so I would still be sitting in the five somewhere, maybe like 
a five six five seven for them. Okay, that's what I think of when I. Um. So I was actually thinking right around a five and a half. Okay. I just think two less albums, mm-hmm. one album that suffered in quality, unlike Everclear. That's that's and true. And I didn't really think even. I mean, Vindicated. And like their, their their individual strengths of the first couple albums songs, yeah, took it up a little bit. Maybe maybe sure. a five six. Let's do it. Let's All do right. a five six. Five six it is. I talked myself into it. Good. Uh, I do think that while um, none of the instrumental um, stuff going on on these records is ever bad, it's mostly probably right on that average. And the Absolutely. thing that's above average is Chris Caraba. Yeah. So he's gonna pull them from like probably a band that would sit at a five. Up because he's a, a tremendous vocal talent. Absolutely. Very, very talented vocalist. So how far up does that pull them? I the would question. I would put them at like a five four. Okay. I think I think he the I would put him much higher if he showcased his voice more. Okay. Uh, you know who like this is a totally if you haven't listened to every episode of this podcast, you're right. not gonna get it. So it's pretty much only for Nick. It reminds me of the early Cornell stuff. Oh, okay. Like just constantly writing up in the stratosphere yeah. and never letting him express okay. his dynamic mm-hmm. range. Yep. Like, when he does, it's so much better. Yeah, that's a good point, and I think that's also something that we should consider for songwriting sound. I agree. Um, which, I mean, you we've already said it a million times. They're writing individually good songs, but they're not. there's not a lot of range. There's no. just not a lot of range in what they do, so I don't think this is a category where they score particularly well. It, They're on, they've it, only written like two bad songs on three albums. It's like a less but... successful U2. Sure, yeah. We totally. just did U2. We right. had that exact and same problem they have, with them. They, everything that they write has yeah. that same exact sound to it. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not low because they don't write any bad songs, but I would struggle to put them any higher than like a five flat. Yeah, I would. I'd be willing to put them at a five flat. Okay. Also, we should just real quick, just because it's real. It's right here, and I get to push the button. This is another. This is another fueled by ramen band. Yeah. So well, the, the most recent album was when they came yeah. back. They were fueled by ramen. That's what I mean. Just like fueled by ramen was is one of the well known kind of emo pop punk. Yeah, they they you know, bring a lot of bands. They did Panic, Fall Out Boy, kind other of, like that. Yeah, more recently, like Twenty One Pilots and, and bands yeah. like that. Just All right. throwing it out there. Yeah, Some agreed. people that we did on that. Well, we didn't. Yeah. Right. You know okay. what I mean. You um, know what I mean. Right. Poetic talent. You can have the floor. So it's tough. This one is tough for me because I think that, again, individual songs really stuck out. But, like, you wrote about the same thing every sure. time. Mm-hmm. So, like, either either you had so many relationships that really struck you yeah. or you managed to write like full albums about one breakup. Right. Which there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. I mean T Swift made a whole early career out of it. Sure. Um, which is which is great. Uh but there wasn't enough variation, even though there were moments of, of almost brilliance. Sure. Uh and so I don't want to go too high. I, I'm a little bit over average. Yeah. Just because I never heard anything that was cheesy or bad until the last album. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so maybe like a five one. 5-1, you got it. I don't think there's an X factor, though. I mean, we we grew up in the time period when they were famous. Does that... That does not help, unfortunately. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> Fairly. What if what if they are one of the one of the bands that got their name from one of their own songs? Because... <laughs> that did happen, didn't it? That did, yeah. The uh, 
I we actually forgot to talk about it, which is why I said it. Uh, the Sharp Hint of New Tears, track two off of the first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lyric on there where that's where they get the night the name yeah. Dashboard Confessional. Great. I'm not going to give him points for that. Oh, me neither. I just Let's wanted to talk about it. Move on to Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Robert Clark Seeger is an American singer, songwriter, and musician, more popularly known as Bob Seeger, and we are covering Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band. Right. So that means very specifically we will not be doing the three albums uh, done by the Bob Seeger system, uh, nor will we be doing Bob Seeger's solo albums where the Silver Bullet Band is not credited. Those both will appear on later episodes. Exactly. Which means the albums we're covering are Night Moves from 1976, Stranger in Town from 1978, and then It's a Mystery from 1995. Right. So I guess I'll go first because you went first last time. That seems fair. Okay. So Night Moves. Oh my. What an album. Uh, This, I mean, super clearly, and because of the kind of way that this album came to be. Very obvious that this is not a debut album. <laughs> oh, my God, no. Um, so Bob Seger has already, at this point, been releasing music for many, many oh, years, yeah. uh, mostly as a solo actor under the system. Right. It's so, his ninth album overall. Exactly. And it hits the ground running in a way that a debut album just cannot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's absolutely stellar. Yeah. Uh, you have the song Night Moves, track number two, a classic. Totally. Um. It's again, this is another artist that was popular in the 70s who just is well known for that like really gritty voice mm-hmm. where it's like, am I 25? Am I 85? Right. Ha ha ha. You'll never know. I think it really works for him now. It does. It really works. It for absolutely him. does. And it's because grittiness can work if you have the pitch to back it up. Yeah. And he absolutely does. Definitely. He has the pitch. He has the power. And he does really great with it. Another huge, like just beautiful rocking song is Sunburst. Uh, mm-hmm. Which closes outside A. Um, I love the instrumentation on that one. I love the flute that came in on it. Yeah, just, uh, just uh, this is a guy at the top of his game here. Totally, uh, which we don't normally get on a debut album. You're Not right. always. Uh, so love that. And then on side B, I just want to throw out Main Street. That is my favorite song from the album. A beautiful killer piece. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I mean, even before we were doing this episode, it was one of my favorite secret yeah. songs, hands down. I, I mean, it's just absolutely there. The vocals hit that, like, scratchy level where, like, you start to question if it's too scratchy, but it's not yet. It's not. It's not yet. Yeah. It, like, a little bit more, like, like, like they're like a 9.8 out of 10 mm-hmm. on the scratchy scale in sure. a good way. But that's it. I mean, I don't have too much to say sure. because I just, I don't want to just sit here and talk about every uh, every track in order. Uh, just love those moments. Yes. Yeah. Oh, agreed. So I'm going to start by reading a review. Uh, the review of this sure. album goes, The riffs on Night Moves are classic rock and roll riffs, like those performed by Chuck Berry or the Rolling Stones. And the album is about rock and roll for those who are no longer in their teens, like the song Rock and Roll Never Forgets. Yes. It's, it's mature. You can tell that this is someone who is still in the music game, but looking back on it a little bit older, a little bit more mature. Uh, and that view, uh, that review is actually Robert Crisco. What? Who? Yeah, who gave this we album agree. an A minus? Mm-hmm. We agree with the Chris Gow himself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that review says a lot. Yeah, the riffing is really excellent on this. Uh, another one of my fa- all time favorite Seeger songs that you didn't mention already is the Fire Down Below. Oh, I abso- absolutely love that. A lot of really cool guitar work. 
Uh, I came to respect Bob Seger more as a guitarist as we uh, went through and did these albums sure. than I had originally realized. And the other thing that I came to respect him more as that kind of goes hand in hand with what that review was saying is the lyrics are a lot better than I remembered. The lyrics are very good. You know, here. like just growing up with this music and having like the best of Bob Seger that I, you know, yeah. had all the songs memorized by the time I was a kid, uh, like never really thought about the lyrics because they were just kind of second nature to me. You know how sometimes you're singing along stuff in the car and you don't even know that you know the words and they Absolutely. all just come out. That's what Bob Seger was to me. And now that I listen, I was like, wow, this, especially as a musician in my late twenties now, yeah, like this makes so much sense to me. Like I really I get it. related way more to the lyrics. You're right around where Bob was when this came. You're yeah. not far off of it. Exactly. Um, and then the only last thing I'll mention, because you talked about Main Street, which is you know my favorite song on the record, super underrated uh, guitar solo intro. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Perfectly placed. Uh, and now... Hold on, before you do that, okay, go ahead. I just... I I played back that Robert Criscow review in my head. Sure. And I think, is that the first time that his positive review Didn't hasn't have been a backhanded? backhanded? Yeah. I was thinking the same thing, actually. Right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that might be the first time that dude just genuinely liked something. Yeah. yeah and wasn't right. like, well, it's shallow and pedantic, but I guess it's enjoyable. Like, yeah, I know. That's how he always is. These are really great songs for people who are dumb. <laughs> like, literally so true. I know. All right. Now I'll talk okay. about Stranger, Stranger in Town. Stranger in Town. So, uh, a bunch more hits on this record. A lot to love still. Um shining through so i just to pick a couple that you might not think of off the top uh till it shines really great harmonized guitar riffs like the kind of thing you would expect here mm-hmm. from the allman brothers or thin lizzie i really like the way that that was incorporated into here um several more favorites though like absolute classics hollywood nights uh, kicks off the record which is just a fantastic song still the same follows it up old time rock and roll uh all all those were singles and the only other single on this is arguably my favorite single of the four on this record, which is a completely toned-down ballad, very different from these up-tempo rock songs with, with We've Got Tonight, which is a really beautiful song that I used to listen to all the time when I was younger. Um, great range. I mean, this yeah. record shows such great range um, in, in terms of the kinds of songs that he can write, and he writes them all really well. Uh, one thing that I want to note for both this album and uh, Night Moves that we haven't mentioned yet is actually... The Silver Bullet Band records about half of all these records. So it's Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band for about half the songs. And the other half of the songs, uh, it's actually the Muscle Shoals rhythm section at Muscle Shoals Studios that's recording all this. So I just think that that's kind of an interesting dynamic, like what was going on there, that he was only able to get together with the the Silver Bullet Band for like half the songs, and he was using the studio musicians for the other half. Uh, But still, I mean... No matter who's playing on them, they're really great songs. I yeah. mean, he, he does another fantastic job with this record, I would say. Yeah, I and I would just say that, like, for that, I mean, it's not the Silver Bullet Band. It's Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. It's yeah. clear that he's the, oh, definitely. the juice here. Definitely. So, I mean, even if he, even if the Silver Bullet Band is, you know, kind of missing for some of these, it's, yeah, and it's I am still got the soul of I'm going to talk a little Bob bit about Seger. that in the future. Sure. Uh, far in the future, like like weeks, months, or just later this episode? Probably later this episode, oh, okay. if, if I remember. Just making sure. Of course. <laughs> um, okay, so Stranger in Town. Uh, my, my overarching note was an intense rocker with some introspective moments, mm. which to me is the formula. Sure, yeah, I totally get like, that. That's the formula for me. Have these moments where, like, you know, my face is starting to melt just a little bit, yeah, just but a little then bit. have these moments where it's like, I want to cry. 
Yeah. Have both. Yeah, right. Let me feel mm-hmm. both. <laughs> and yeah. that's exactly what they do here. Still the same was a good hit. Uh, and exactly that that retrospective feel. Yeah. It was a nice retrospective love song about like an old flame, an mm-hmm. old romance. Uh, you go right into the song. Right. Like the Which is song. funny because it was... At the time, they were. It was the least successful of the four singles released from this album. Yeah, originally. That's before Tom Cruise and slid then, in his underwear. Exactly. And, and, and then once that <laughs> happened, that automatically like skyrocketed exactly. the song. <laughs> like you can't hear any Bob Seger song without <laughs> just yeah. Like that happens, and all of a sudden you see the sunglasses, the unbuttoned shirt sure. sliding in. It happens. Risky business. Old time rock and roll. Huge hit. Yeah. Uh, but then you move on. Uh, the ones that really stuck out to me, one, the closer, the famous final scene. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Absolutely yeah. killer. And then I, I Ain't Got No Money was a really interesting kind of variance to me. I just talked about Dashboard Confessional, how I wish they varied more. Bob Seger does not have that problem. No. Uh, God, no. He, he's very varied throughout these albums. Agreed. And this is somebody who makes music because they love music and love experimenting with music. And that shines through here. Agreed. So It's a Mystery um, is different. Yeah. Uh, It's It's 1995. Let me be A lot of time has passed. Yeah, a lot of time has passed. I'm going to come right out and say it is not as good. Let's be clear. I mean, Stranger in Town and and Night Moves are absolute classics of the classic rock genre. I mean, it's hard to elevate yourself to that level. But here's the thing that bugs me about it. So it's not as good. I wasn't expecting it to be as good, no. mainly because it's 1995. So yeah. many years have passed. Um, it almost felt like Bob Seger was annoyed that he was making this album. <laughs> like, that's the vibe that came across. It came across like, uh, I don't. And, and to be fair, right after this, he took a, a decent hiatus. Yeah. So, like, maybe he was. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, um, he was ready to just go spend time with his family and be away from the exactly. music industry for a while. Like it just, it just felt. I mean, he has a couple songs like "Rite of Passage." Um, he has a couple songs where he's like commenting on current events. Mm-hmm. That's I, I always appreciate that. Whether or not you agree with it, yeah, I always appreciate as long as it's it. done well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, absolutely. And I feel like he's still doing things well here. Um, but you have a couple songs like "Lock and Load" or uh, "16 Shells from a 30 Yacht." Yeah, which uh, is a Tom Waits cover. Uh, yes, but you have a couple songs like that where he's just like talking about guns. Yeah. Um, and honestly, in Lock and Load, he it sounded super like regretful. Hmm. Like he just sounded like really <laughs> regretful. Um, for the most part, I just have like, unlike the other songs, nothing here felt revolutionary to me. Yeah. Unlike mm-hmm. the other albums, nothing felt, you know, incredible or great uh in places it felt a little bit reflective by the river being a good uh a good example of some reflection yeah. in in the songs but for the first time now listening to bob seeger i felt like he was being a bit formulaic okay good i'm which glad I that don't you s- like I'm, right but i'm glad that you said it because like one of the first notes that i put was like you know i can tell that this isn't as good as the first two albums but I'm not like I'm having trouble putting my finger on like this precise thing. Like, can yeah. he still play? Yeah, he can still play well. He can still Does play, he still sing? Still he sing still sings really well. well. Like, you know, he's still writing songs and playing his heart out. But there's something missing there. Um, so I'm glad that you kind of speculated yeah. a little bit about that. 
Uh, I wonder was the song that I highlighted. It was a slower. Okay. It was definitely a slower. Piece. I can understand that. Um, and I enjoyed that. I, I still think there were some really uh, interesting things done on the guitar. Some good little solos. Like he always keeps when he's gonna play a guitar solo. Like it's a tight four bars and out. Play the part that it needs to be. Don't get flashy. Give us a good melody in four bars and roll along. That seems yeah. to be his style. That works out well. If you know how to utilize those four bars, if you're somebody who can play a one-minute guitar solo and still have it have life and vitality and and feel like it's moving in a direction, fantastic. So me, if you can't, right? If you can't, but you can really fill up four bars with something that sounds good and and serves the purpose of the song, then that's what you should play know. to your strengths. Totally, it's totally agree. what it is. Uh, and there were definitely times when you did that. I would like to point out also that while there are tons of different. Um, credited artists who came on to do background vocals or play drums on a track here and there or bass on a track here and there. Bob Seger himself went from playing guitar and vocals to playing synthesizer, guitar, piano, bass, vocals. And for, I'm not sure which song it was, uh, but he did also program the drum machine that they, they used for at least one track. Which I think says all you need to know about sure. some of the songs on this album. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it the was... the legendary Bob Seger programming a drum machine. And I don't think it was bad. I don't think this album was bad, but... No, I don't think it was bad. I think compared... So, I think compared to all of the albums this week, it's in the upper half. Sure. But compared to the albums we did with Bob Seger... Yeah, it's... A cool. very, yeah, very distant, distant third. third. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, so, moving on to Into the Future still. I just want to mention, um, because... Of the recent death of Glenn Fry, yeah, uh, which I guess I'm trying to remember how many years it was a couple years ago now at this point, maybe 2017. Uh, but Bob Seger had you know come out and talked about that because they were great friends, and I mentioned this because of course it's Six Degrees of Totem Talks. Glenn Fry's from the Eagles, um, but they kind of came up together in the music scene in Detroit. Uh, before Glenn went out, headed out west, and and got together with the rest of the Eagles. And Nick, and, would you believe that it was five years ago? Wow, 2016. That's, that's brutal. That hurts. Um, I know. But uh, Bob Seger actually recorded uh, the very first Glenn Fry song that he wrote for his band. I think they were called like the Mushrooms uh, way back when, right. in like '67 or something. But uh, okay, that's that. Let's get into the grades. So, like, what a one? You think? Yeah, I think a one. So, <laughs> I actually the other thing that I really wanted to say has to do with this first grade with cultural impact because obviously. Obviously, Bob Seger's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. He's been there since, I think, 2004. But the Silver Bullet Band did not get inducted with him, and the vast majority of his highest-selling and most famous work came with the Silver Bullet Band. And we talked before on this podcast about all of the old backing bands from the 50s and 60s who got snubbed and how many of them were corrected. And eventually the Rock Hall of Fame was like, yeah, we probably should have had the Crickets and the Famous Flames and a bunch of these other groups included. Not the Belmonts, though. But not the Belmonts. Screw the Belmonts. I know, know, right? Um, But there are definitely, like, that one thing about the Silver Bullet Band is, like, this is something that people were waiting on. Like, why did they not get inducted with Bob Seger? Maybe what we talked about with them, like, splitting time on the records with the Muscle Shoals... um, studio musicians but yeah. i have a hard time believing that because i mean they were touring they were doing all the live shows for all these years they have played on so many of the biggest songs but i just think it's worth like a nod to the controversy of you know the silver bullet band i would say probably deserved to be inducted along with bob Seeger. that's my opinion i would agree um 
but obviously it's it's going to be pretty high. I mean, Bob yeah. Seger over the course of his career has sold about 75 million records. Uh obviously a bunch of those were solo, but the vast majority are with the Silver Bullet Absolutely. band. Like the vast majority and most of his hits were definitely with the Silver Bullet band, but there's a ton of them, tons of sales. It's got to be a high number. Like this is a big act. I would agree it's a large a large act. Yeah, I mean I would probably floor in the high sevens. I was thinking in the eights myself. Okay, so, I think uh, that that makes. Total I would sense. I would be putting him like the low eights, like an yeah, eight point three, like, maybe okay. eight point two. That makes perfect sense to me. I would give him an eight three. We'll okay. give him an eight three. Uh, the breadth of work. There are, I believe, seven that he did with the Silver Bullet Band. Okay. Every single one of those records has at least certified in both the United States and Canada. Sure. Only one. It's a mystery. It is only gold. Everything else was platinum, 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 five times platinum, six times platinum, six times platinum. So these so sales he are sold phenomenal. a little bit. He, I mean, the sales are great. As I, more if, than like one or two. Even albums. if we give, I mean, if you look at all of his other stuff between the Bob Seger system and his solo work, he only has two other albums that certified platinum. Yeah. So even if you give ten million of his record sales over to the other groups that we're going to talk about later on. You still get like 60, 65 million in sales from Bob with the Silver Bullet Band. So uh, high marks for that. High marks for the quality of, of the music. I think we got to have another relatively high score. Again, I would say this time I would stay in the sevens. Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, seven albums. But like, I'm talking like seven, eight. Yeah, and I'm thinking like, so there's seven albums, so he doesn't get a huge bump for his. No, no, he starts of off work here. only a little bit above five. Like a five, one. Um, but yeah, so many millions and millions of sales. Exactly. Also super high quality. Definitely. I'd be okay giving him like a seven, eight. Yeah. yeah that that's what I wanted. Um, the instrumental talent, I did mention, uh, gaining some new respect for him as, as a guitarist on here. Yeah. That being said, mostly very solid playing. Yeah. I think this is again, a case of his writing is better than the actual playing of the instruments on agree. the records itself. I would agree. I think... I think the other thing, like, I think Bob Seger has a really good voice. Yeah. But for me, at least, it's not one of those iconic voices. Okay. It's good. He's very good. He's, sure. I mean, oh, he's yeah. a great singer, and his songs are super recognizable. Yeah, definitely that. But unlike, you know, I'm trying to think of another, like, iconic voice, like like Freddie Mercury. Sure. Robert uh, Plant. Robert Plant's yeah. another great one. Um, I'm not going to put on... A, like a Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band song that I've never heard before, and within five seconds, no, it's Bob Seger and the Silver Interesting. Bullet Band. Interesting. Okay. That's just like just by vocals, okay. whereas I would absolutely know a Queen song if I'd never heard it before. Okay. Or, you know, Definitely or a Zeppelin, a Zeppelin song. Like, <laughs> like there, you have no choice. Although I may think yeah. it's Greta Van Fleet. Fair. Um, <laughs> I Just... Long story short, I'm still in the fives. I'm, I I agree with count. you on that, but I'm in the higher fives. Like okay. a five six-ish, not super I high. I think fives, I would max but... out around a five six. So yeah. I'm okay going there. Uh but songwriting talent, better. Yeah. Uh really strong, really varied from song to song, from album to album. Absolutely. But the albums are also paced really well while that's happening. Yeah. Uh, which is good. And I mean there are a couple covers. Sure. But uh, yeah, unlike where we've there. ran into that before, the vast majority. I mean, it's still definitely enough for me to be in the six and a half to seven range. That is that is where I land. Yeah, I agree. Okay, good. Perfect. I like it. Uh, so right in between those or rethinking like a 6-7? Let's do it. Let's do yeah. a 
yeah, I think there's definitely enough. While he's not genre hopping the way a lot of our highest scoring artists of all time have, he's definitely writing very varied songs within his rock style. So that's worth a lot to me. Uh, and Poetic Talent, again, this was better than I thought. Yeah. This was definitely better than I thought. I'm not like crazy high on it or anything like that, but I definitely think I went in thinking he was probably going to be an average lyricist, and now I think he's an above average lyricist. I can agree with you on that. Uh, I think he's above average. I wouldn't say he's like light years ahead on this one. No. Um, but I do think like I would have gone from a five one or five two to like a five six five seven ish. Yeah, I think that that's he's, exactly. He's what bumped I was up a little bit on this one. Yeah, for I me. I would go with the five seven because I was really Perfect. thinking like. He was, he's going to be kind of one of those guys who's a five, you yeah. know, misses, no hits. But he definitely got me. He had some so. moments of depth. Mm-hmm. Totally. For sure. Um, is there an X Factor here that I'm unaware of? So I, I, it's tough here. I mean, specifically with Silver Bullet Band, I wouldn't yeah, say. Yeah, I was wondering if that was We already gave him the bump. For, yeah, okay. For uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sure, and the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I wouldn't necessarily put an X Factor here. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. And that's fine. I don't think he's going to need it. Uh, but I'll check scores for you and let you know. Okay, sounds good. All right, so we've got we've got scores. I've checked. I went in and I checked in that. Good. Time. All right. And losing today's episode, unfortunately for them, uh, is Dashboard Confessional. Yeah, with that's... a twenty three point one, a very respectable uh, oh, yeah, losing score. Bad. I don't think they they did badly, and I think we had mostly nice things to say about. Them. I think so too. Uh, but then our winner today. Is, of course, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Yeah, like, I, I was thinking that was yeah. probably what's happening. Yeah, they won with a 34.1 okay. uh, overall, which is pretty good. They uh, beat second place Everclear by about eight. Uh, Everclear brought down a 26.5 as okay. their final score. Sure. So a very solid week. I would say like we didn't really, despite the scores being you know very good for Bob Seger, but kind of middling for the other two, we didn't really get a bad album. We didn't get a full bad album. No, I would agree. Yeah. I think it was a strong week all around. Yeah. A couple moments of, eh, but sure. not bad. I mean, after the last few weeks. Yeah. I mean, there was no new kids on this block. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't oh, remind me of their existence, please. Much, much stronger than that, thankfully. Yeah. Well, then. Yeah, that's going to wrap us up. Another another fun one. Exactly. Uh, and Nick, it's very you, important uh... to come back next week. Yeah, there I we know go. that's what you wanted to ask. Uh, because next week. We will be discussing... Oh, I have so many choices here. Well, I have three choices. You have three choices. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but I will. Neil Young. There we go. <laughs> Just right for it. But I will. Uh, uh, very yeah, excited so for that. Join Extremely us next excited. week. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, and please keep in mind all the stuff I said in the beginning about least of all and about you know listener support, all that fun stuff. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this one, please you know share it. Tell your friends and your friends of friends and people you randomly run into on the street and, you know, anything like that. Uh, we're, we're spreading the word, right? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. You had no idea. I could feel it. I could feel that you were going to do it. Uh, but, yeah, seriously, guys, thank you so much for all of your support. Uh, it really means a lot to, to get to see the numbers each week and see that you guys are tuning in. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Stay safe. Have a great summer. And most importantly, have a great day.